0: the name of the talk is The Poignancy of Human Life. And uh, I woke up today and, you know, I usually prepare something, the talk, for the evening. Sometimes I don't, but often I do. And I got up and I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. and um, So I did my thing, stretched, sat a little, and then went out to take a walk in the park and uh, and I was wandering in the park, and uh, and um, and the talk comes came to me. This happens often, which is the talk comes to me. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, and then oh things happen. And So I think oh yeah this this this, and um, and so I was walking in the park and. Um, of course, one of the first things I notice when I walk in the park is the dukkha or difficulty that's part of human life. And, uh, and so, because there are a number of homeless people, make their home in the park. And if you're homeless, it's a good place to make a home because it's relatively safe. and. Um, It's not just in the. I'm staying. I'm not living in my house right now because we moved for a little while while we're having some work done on our home. So we're living. I'm living further west, and I'm living, you know, 19th Avenue, right? And then on either side of 19th Avenue, there's a strip of land that goes along 19th Avenue, and I'm living on the other side of that in a in-law apartment in somebody's house. And, um, but, so I was walking to the park through that strip of land, so I didn't have to walk on the street, and, uh, and, and of course, there are people who live there, and who, who have been sleeping there, so I was, you know, I didn't know there would be people there, but there was, and so I saw that, and so I always feel my heartfulness when I see people, are homeless and I personally have a hard time understanding it. I mean I understand it intellectually, right? They don't have money or they couldn't afford to keep pay rent or keep up what was needed. But sometimes I just can't imagine how we could be in such a rich country and people are homeless, right? And but we don't have a rich compassionate country we have a rich country that is based on capitalist ethics which is me not you or if I have mine that's that's all I'm concerned about I'm not concerned about you having yours necessarily right and so and also I mean when I walk in the park you know I sometimes I see people looking for food and so there's homeless people or hungry people, and then also there's people who are ill, and I don't mean physically i mean mentally ill, and they aren't being treated or for whatever reason, and I'm not saying you know it's all the government's fault or whoever's fault, but they're not being treated but so I'll be walking along, and people are talking to themselves, and they're not on their phone right. Because a lot of people seem to be talking to themselves, but they're on their phone or they're on a headset or something, and it, you know, and so that happened a number of times this morning. And especially, I was uh, went into the, I went to go to the bathroom in the park, and I went into one of the bathrooms, and somebody was there talking to himself while he was in the bathroom, and. Uh, and it's painful, really, it's heart, hurting, heart hurting to see the suffering of human beings. And, and that I think and make the assumption that doesn't need to be that way. That there could be the kind that we do have in this country, the kind of resources that could actually care for people if that's what we wanted to do. And so there's the dukkha of uh, of human life, which is part of the poignancy of human life. And, of course, you all know, you all have your own dukkha, and, you know, whatever that might be, you know, emotional dukkha or relational dukkha or societal dukkha or um, uh, financial dukkha, right, of any kind, right, just living... These days, there's, everybody's, and of course, if you don't know the word dukkha, it means suffering or disease or dissatisfaction, things like that. And so, and so, okay, there's the dukkha, and that's really part of what is poignant about being human, is it's not easy. It's not just everything's fine, right? Or, Or if you're the right person, everything's fine, because even one of the... One of the uh, perspectives that I have, especially in the roles that I've been in in my life as what's called a spiritual teacher, or a Dharma teacher, or a Buddhist teacher, or a teacher of the diamond approach, the other spiritual group I teach from, or a therapist, which I've been in my life, um, is that I see, I meet all kinds of people from all kinds of conditions, you know, and young and old, and different genders, different sexual uh, orientations, or different, um, different uh, financial means, right? And everybody's got dukkha. Everybody's got dukkha, well, no matter what class or race or, or gender or whatever. It's just part of the deal. It's part of what makes human life poignant. And poignant, one of the definitions I like, poignant means pregnant with feeling. Pregnant with feeling, be poignant. And so this morning, I woke up and I thought, well, yeah, of course, the talk, uh, there'll be something about dukkha in the talk. And then, of course, there's sukha, because I was just basing the talk on what I was seeing. Like, oh, what's reality? What's here? What's human life? What makes it poignant? And it's not just poignant because of the dukkha, or the difficulty, or the dissatisfaction, or the dis-ease that is part of human life, but also the sukha of human life, or the sukha. I actually looked up sukha again, because we we use dukkha a lot more in Buddhism than sukha. So it means happiness, pleasure, ease, bliss, delight right? And so part of the delight I was feeling walking in the park and just not doing anything, really. That was a key piece, right? I wasn't doing anything. I was just walking around to take a walk and get some air and and get outside. And, uh, And there were people of all ages and all colors and all sizes and all... Genders and an all all every all the isms, right, of the different kinds of people, right, were there and they were all doing their thing and they were walking and running and riding bikes and uh, skateboarding and you know, I've discovered now you electronic skateboards are a big thing. Like right? to hell with you using your legs. You just get on the skateboard and it goes. like and that looked like fun. And then of course rollerblading and roller skating and, and everybody was just enjoying themselves and the park. And it was beautiful to see that. It was really touching. And I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the poignancy of human delight. Right? right. Because there's so much there was so much feeling there and so much good feeling there of people enjoying being human and just hanging out in the park. And of course, the, the part of the park that I'm around and walking around, there's no cars. It's all closed to cars on, on Sunday. And so everybody's just kind of doing their things. And a lot of little kids on bicycles just riding like crazy, and their parents riding after them. And, uh, and, and uh, actually, also, one of the beautiful things that, that was part of, so it wasn't just so there's, you know, dukkha, sukkha. There's also mystery and magic on Sunday in the park. And I say that because I encourage you, if you don't know it, go to the park on Sunday sometime. It's free, you know, all you got to do is get there. And there's all all this life happening. Human life is happening there. And so there was a lot of what I call mystery magic and the delight of the mystery and magic of life itself. So one of the things I really enjoyed, so I walked, I did a lot of walking, and then I sat on a bench. That's not a really Eugene thing to do. Eugene doesn't sit on benches, generally. But I thought, I I really, I thought, okay maybe I'll meditate. I'll just sit on a bench and meditate. But it was too much fun to watch everybody to really shut my eyes and meditate. So, I mean, I could say I meditated with my eyes open, but I wasn't really trying to meditate or do anything. I just sat there and enjoyed what I was seeing. One of the more fun things that I enjoyed was people walk by with little babies and buggies, Right? And the little babies sometimes have their eyes open, and they're looking out. And I'm like waving at them. And I mean, these are little babies. They have no idea who I am. But, but they could make eye contact, and they were lucky. And there's so much life right there in this little thing that's being pushed along by this bigger thing that was once one of those little things, right? right? Now it's pushing the little thing along. And they're just beautiful, you know, babies, you know, whoever they are or, or whatever they are, which is, of course, part of the mystery. Like, who are these people? And do they know they're people yet? Of course, they're not even thinking that kind of stuff. And you don't even have to think that either. You don't even have to worry about if you're a person or not. Just sense and feel the aliveness that's here that's just like the baby's aliveness. That's no different than the baby's aliveness, and so I was playing with them, meaning I was having a good time waving at them, and, and of course sometimes the parents like it and wave. Sometimes parents they don't know they're on the phone half the time. The parents they're on their machine, and I'm thinking, you know, who 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 are these people, and where do they come from? And I mean, I know technically where they come from, but I mean, really, where do, where do we come from? Really. Where does, where does consciousness come from? Where does life come from? Because we're not even the only form of life. There's life in so many different forms, and it's all alive. And it's one of the great, brilliant things of the Buddha was he had this tremendous respect for all life, Right? Like one of the first things you learn in Buddhism is the precepts. And the first precept is, oh, you don't kill any living thing. Right? Because it's all life. Life manifesting from nowhere, from out of nothing. Or if I'm a little more technical in Buddhism, it all comes out of emptiness. Right? Life appears and then disappears. And so as maybe you can hear, life was very simple for me as I sat on the bench. I really think it's something I'm going to do some more. I'm just going to go sit on the bench again. Uh, actually, I know somebody who's, who sat on a bench for a few years and woke up sitting on a bench. And he, I don't think he was trying to wake up. He just said, "I Eckhart Tolle just sat on a bench for a few years, and something changed his total understanding of reality. Funny, I, I said this to a friend of mine on the phone later today. And he said, oh, yeah. And he's a neighbor of Eckhart Tolle on Salt Spring Island. Maybe I should say that. Don't go to Salt Spring and bother Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> but, um, but he's a neighbor of his, and they had a, a meal together. And uh, I can't remember what it was. He told something. He he asked Eckhart Tolle about something about uh, um, well no, he told Eckhart Tolle about his uh, what what was difficult for him and what was difficult was both his sons who are like like twenty and eighteen so the 20 year old went off to college, right, has come back and then goes to college, right, and then the 18 year old is going off to college, and my friend is a little heartbroken, right, he loves his kids, and they're a very close family, and, and he's had a lot of change, and, uh, and, uh, so he was telling, uh, Eckhart Tolle about, you know, he was sad, and da-da-da-da-da, about his kids, Going off to college now. Both kids are leaving right now in the next two days, and Eckhart said, "Oh, that's good. That's okay. That's good. Change is good, you know." And he, he didn't have any uh, sympathy in the usual way because because for him tra- change is the way it is, and he said he said then he said and he was talking with Eckhart. He said, "What are you doing?" And Eckhart said, he said and my friend said Eckhart. Oh, talks this way, where he says, well, if I'm still alive in a month and a half, I'm going to this place to give a teaching, right? Or if I'm still in this body, I think that's what he said, if I'm still in this body in two months, then I'm going to New York to give a teaching, So life gets simpler sometimes, and it was simpler for me this morning. And really a beautiful, simple way to discover the talk just by going and sitting on the bench. And as Sayadaw Uteshaniya says, he says, when the mind is simple, then wisdom can develop. When the mind is simple, wisdom can develop. And I'm not saying I'm so wise, but I felt... I watched my whole sense of being relax as I walked and then just sat and didn't do anything for a while. And you know, Eugene likes to do things. I do a lot of things, and it's all good, but there's something so good about not doing anything, not even meditating. That's a radical shift to just not do anything and just let yourself be, right? And Because remember, we're called human beings. And that's the part we don't get, is the being part. And so I'm in the park, and I'm walking, and then sitting. And of course, it's so beautiful. And the beauty is nature is beautiful, the trees, and the flowers, and the plants, and the grasses. And the, the lakes, I walked around the lake in the park. Right? I don't know, what's that lake called? Stow Lake. Still lake, yeah, Stowe Lake, thank you. Which, of course, I've walked around like 300 times in my life. But it was fantastic today. And it wasn't fantastic because it was fantastic. It was fantastic because it is fantastic. And also, I was there when I was walking around. That's why it was fantastic. And that's what we're learning how to do in meditation, is be here, is be. So when I was walking around, I was here. I was there. I was right at the lake. I wasn't somewhere else. My mind heart was simple. I was just walking around with all the other people walking around and with the birds and with the water and with whatever strange animals is, some turtles in the lake and there's some fish and things like that. And of course the other animals, the raccoons and the coyotes were around. And, you know, and it's all right here for us if we're here. It's all here for us if we're here right, the immediacy of life just displaying itself. Mm -hmm. And it's all the Dharma. It's all the Dharma. And it's part of what we slowly learn as we practice is it's all the Dharma. What's happening right now, for you while you sit here and listen, you like the talk or don't like it or interested or not interested, It's all what's happening in your seat is the Dharma. This is it. This is the whole show in this moment. And this is what we want to be aware of and wake up to and through what's actually here. Again, Sayadaw Tejandiya says, take an interest in whatever happens, whether good or bad. Every experience is Dharma just the way it is. And of course, this broader sense of the kind of presence that I felt today, sitting in the park, because because um, I didn't, you know, I didn't wake up feeling so great. You know, it's okay. I woke up and I had this to do and that to do, and making some breakfast. And my wife's been gone because she's away teaching a retreat. And, which has its pluses and minuses. It's nice to be alone, but you know you get lonely also. Both both things are true. Right, and so I went out for the walk, and then and then everything got simpler and simpler, easier and easier. And I'm walking around, and I just start feeling uh, some kind of unification with just being right where I was which is also something we do in the meditation practice. We're unifying our consciousness with the sensations, with the breath, with the sound, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, seeing, thinking, feeling. We're starting to become one with what's here. And that kind of unification is called samadhi, and is an important part of the eightfold path that the Buddha taught. And it's also described by the native people, by Black Elk, who wrote in a piece called The Sacred Pipe. He says, peace peace comes within the souls of humans when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe and all its powers. And when they realize that at the center of the universe, dwells what he calls the great spirit, and that this center is really everywhere. It is within each of us. Right. So there's an important point that he's making about peace and what it means to wake up or be oneself in the native tradition that he comes from. He says that that as the souls of human, of humans when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe. Because of course, we talk about the universe like it's all out there. We are the universe. We are part of the universe. We're not separate from the universe. And so we are the universe. And it's not like we're the totality of the universe, but we're not at all separate from any part of the universe. And so the universe is right here. He says, realize oneness with the universe and all its powers. And when they realize that at the center of the universe dwells a great spirit, and that this center is really everywhere, it is within each of us. And so one of the feelings that I had, and that I believe is part of practice and an important part of practice is wonder. Wonder, and it's part of what stimulates the investigative factor, right? There are seven factors of awakening. The first factor is mindfulness. The second is investigation. And wonder is part of what Supports our investigation of who and what we are and what reality is and what the whole universe is and when i when I say that i'm not I'm not thinking we're looking for a cognitive answer; we're looking for an experiential answer, right? I can't describe to you explain what the whole universe is. Maybe a scientist can but but I know the whole universe. Because part of it's right here, and I am it. It's not separate from me. And so part of the wonder I felt, especially as I was enjoying or delighting in the people and the animals and the plants and the, the presence of being alive in the park today, was where does it all come from? Or what does it all mean? Or, you know, how is it that I have the privilege and good fortune to just walk and sit in the park. And there's no problem, basically. And I saw a movie last night with uh, Alison Heather. Alison Heather was part of SFI. She still comes here, but she was on the board for many years and good friend and uh, really just a good soul. And uh, we went to see a movie called Honeyland. Anybody see the movie Honeyland? Oh, Lord, great. Anybody? That was pretty interesting. That was so interesting. It's a documentary about a woman in Macedonia who keeps bees and they produce honey and she sells the honey and that's how she supports herself and her 95-year-old mother. And it's a documentary about them. And it's a difficult film to watch. At least it was for me, right? Because there's a lot of dukkha, right? It's not just, oh, it's so beautiful, and she's got honey, and the honey tastes sweet. Believe me, you can almost taste the honey when you're watching the movie. Because it looks good, that honey. And I'm not even a honey guy at all, but I would have tried some of her honey. But um, but um, But it was very... Movie because it was so poignant because of the dukkha. First of all, the 90, her 95 year old mother is, looked like she was blind in one eye and, you know, was dying. And and I won't tell you though, I won't go through the whole movie. You should see the movie. But there was a lot of dukkha, family dukkha, and then neighbor social dukkha with the people around her. And of course financial dukkha. And then the beauty of this woman. It's just this beauty and what a beautiful being. And her her love of the bees and the animals and people and and just clear and just worship, you know, is my recommendation. And funny, I did see somebody as I was sitting there, somebody like walked in the last minute, was coming across, he looked down, he said, You Eugene, I said, yeah. He said, oh yeah, I come to your group sometimes. So, but it wasn't Lloyd. (laughs) I would have recognized. Uh, And so, you know, so the wonder is not just wonder about how did it all happen, or where does it all come from, or or how privileged I was just to sit there, but the wonder about the duke of the world and there's a lot of duke in the world or how come capitalism is so cruel and so uh, entrenched in our consciousness that that's the way the world has to work and maybe it does I don't know but all I know is it's, it's a very tough animalistic system of I got me I got mine You get yours. It's still a very primitive system of human relationship. It's not like we're all here together. Let's take care of each other together, which is a much more Buddhist understanding. And the only place I've seen that really was in Bhutan, which is the only country I know with a Buddhist government. And they still have problems, too, because human beings have dukkha. It's part of the deal. But I was looking at the newspaper this morning um, online about okay, what were the headlines in the New York Times? And really, I thought, oh, I don't even want to read these to people because it's so sad and it's really depressing. And it's not like every headline was that, but the big headlines, you know, are about bombings that are happened and how many people died, and then. Uh, You know, why women are fleeing from home, but not being in in certain countries, and not being allowed into this country because of their immigrants. And, uh, And then, of course, somebody told me that they were fascinated by Jeffrey Epstein, who I believe most people know of. He's a man who had committed a number of sexual crimes and committed suicide in jail and was very rich. Quite wealthy, quite, quite wealthy, a sex offender, multi and um, and I just and so I wonder even about him, like, did he really think what he was doing would make him happy? Like, why would somebody do that? And I know people do this, but I still in my mind I don't quite get it. I don't get it. I don't get how somebody who's an adult who's wealthy basically have anything you want and he's going after young girls. I mean, that's just crazy in my opinion. And so I do wonder about how do people get that way, especially if you have so much, I mean, so much privilege in financially. Clearly, he had a lot of dukkha and he died of his dukkha. Right? In my opinion. And so also, looking at my, I was sitting in the park and looking, reflecting on my own good fortune and my own privilege, right? And what it's like to uh, to both enjoy my good fortune, but also looking at the vulnerability of being human, which I think is true for all of us. And it's an interesting word, vulnerability, that I've been enjoying. And sometimes I translate it as permeability. That there's no there's no bars, right? We're vulnerable. Things come in, things go out, and come in. We're not static, right? And part of my own vulnerability that I was reflecting on today, and have been reflecting on for a number of days. But I was, I've been doing a little therapy, which I did, I've done therapy often and on my whole life, uh, since I was a young, young teenager. Uh, but I haven't done it much in the last few years. I did a little therapy for a while with a woman who did something called body dynamics, which I really loved, because it wasn't like regular therapy. You talked a little. But she did body work on places where she could see holding that was old um, or young. Old means many years ago. Young, like three-year-old, two-year-old, five-year-old. It was great. And unfortunately, she retired, and she didn't have a good recommendation for anybody else. But I was looking for a therapist, and I went to someone, and I saw him a few times. And uh, you know, and he got a good recommendation. I'm like, okay, I'll talk to the guy. And, but I'm a little skeptical of that kind of talk therapy personally, because I've done a lot of it in my life, and I've done a lot of other practice. And um, but one thing came up that I came in on my last session. And I said, oh, I want to talk to you about something. I'm watching my criticalness of certain people. <clears throat> And, so, and it is something I watch my mind sometimes, because I can be very open-hearted. I can also be very critical. And I wanted to know, what is that? Why, why am I being critical? And he was like, oh, good, because I want, he said, the therapist said, because I want to talk to you about this, because you're critical of me. And and it, and it was true, and I I knew it. And I'd, I'd expressed it to him, too. Like, I wasn't so interested in his opinion about stuff. And so then we had an interesting session about our relationship and me being critical. And that was helpful, really helpful. And what it brought forth was my vulnerability to being open to seeing who is this guy, really. Not who's my idea of this guy, but who is this guy and what does he know? And and can't he be helpful, right? And so it was very potent. So that's I've been sitting with that that feeling of vulnerability because it's like oh I lost a certain ground that uh, and I know enough about this. I know I don't need that ground, but it's egocentric background, meaning it keeps the ego in alignment a certain kind of ground. And when the ego goes like this, it's uncomfortable, right? It's like, oh, we don't want that. I want to wake up, but I want to wake up as me, right? I don't want to lose my sense of self, right? And I'm not talking about psychotically. I'm talking about neurotically. And uh, yeah, so that was great because you really challenged my pattern with him, of relating to him. And now I think, oh, maybe I could do some therapy with this guy. We'll see. I'm still a little skeptical. About it. <laughs> but, but I'm going to tell him straight out I'm skeptical. Here's a quote from Theodore Rothke. He said, Today I'm going to talk about confusion. I'm all for it. Great teachers are not necessarily systematic thinkers that the very act of teaching is against us. Never be ashamed of the strange. Never be ashamed of the strange. Those who are willing to be vulnerable move among mysteries. That's a good quote about vulnerability and not being afraid to be strange. Because believe me, if anybody really knows you, they know you're strange right cuz we humans are strange right we're animals with consciousness and minds and hearts and we're self reflective and we have the potential to become awakened like the buddha did that's pretty wild helen keller anybody not know who helen keller is if you don't know who she is raise your hand Helen Keller, that's good. She's got a good brand, Helen Keller. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. It's either a daring adventure or nothing at all. To keep our faces towards change and behave like free spirits in the presence of fate is strength undefeatable. And there's a lot of beautiful quotes about this kind of opening up to our own vulnerability. Leonard Cohen sang it. He said, "Ring the bells that can still be rung. Forget the perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's through our vulnerability." Mm. Rumi Rumi said it this way. Sufi poet Rumi said, that which haunts us will always find a way out. The wound will not heal unless given witness. The shadow that follows us is the way in. Yeah, I will. That which haunts us will always find a way out. The wound will not heal unless given witness. Being seen, being known, recognized, being mindful, opening to, being aware of. The wound will not heal unless given witness. The shadow that follows us is the way in. Right? It's our, our, whatever is held is really the doorway to freedom. It's not a bad thing. And then the last piece I'll say is I want to say something more about simplicity and freshness, partly because I was listening to talk a friend of mine, Joseph Goldstein, um, because I was supposed to go to his retreat, and then I couldn't go to his retreat. So I listened to one of the talks he gave. And he, said, he, he quoted the Buddha, which Joseph likes to do a lot. He said, everything that arises, passes. Everything that arises passes, right? And he was talking on retreat, and he was saying, everything that happens, every experience arises and passes. And if you understand this, you will awaken. If you understand this, you will awaken. Everything, every thought, every feeling, every idea, every belief, every sensation, every experience, They just do this. They rise and pass. Come and go. So I was appreciating that when I was sitting on the bench and enjoying the beauty of the sun coming through the fog and through the trees. And, uh, And then the beautiful paradox of how simple it all is. The trees and plants and are totally aligned with reality. They're just doing their themselves. They're not doing anything, right? They're just alive. Trees, plants, flowers, grasses. Right? Just being themselves. And it just when when I'm there, which I was practicing not formally but informally all morning. There was a kind of joy that came of just being, the joy of being, the joy of simply being here, the here being that in the moment of the park. But it's the same joy that's available to us anywhere when we're really here, in our body, heart, mind, fully. And whatever is happening, even when there's difficulty, there can be a more sublime joy of simply being. Gabriel Garcia Marquez said, I discovered to my joy that it is life, not death, that has no limits. And it is life, not death, that has no limits. And of course, a quote that I often read from William Blake, he says, one who binds themselves to a joy does the winged life destroy. But one who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. It's a beautiful teaching of what it means to wake up in any moment. Not like we're going to wake up forever, but to wake up in a moment and the joy that comes of simply being here and not being attached to being here, just being here. And I'll read a last quote because I have it and I like it from Sayada Utejaniya. He said, the mind's tendency is to like new things. It wants variety. It wants freshness. One thing to remember is that no moment is the same as the old moment. Every moment is fresh. I'm going to stop there. A few minutes for any questions, comments, agreements, disagreements. I'd love to hear from you all and hear if it make any sense what I said or was it helpful at all or unhelpful.